0: Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. This Wednesday, the final Wednesday of this first month, the 27th day, we just want to thank you for your goodness, Lord. Now as we come to the ministry of the Word, Spirit of God, we pray you would speak to us. We need you, Lord, we need you. We need you to speak to us, Lord, teach us teach us constantly your ways. Show us your paths. Let your voice be there in our ear, directing our footsteps. Guide us with your eye. We need that in this hour, Lord. When it gets darker and darker, we need more light, not less light. We need guidance every hour, every minute, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. We surrender this time into thy hands, Lord. Everyone here, everyone around the world listening. And I pray the hand of God would rest upon all of us, Lord. Speak, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So this morning, first remember we look at our promise. That's a big picture. We have to look at that one promise and then everything starts sitting in. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your courts. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Okay, remember that's the promise. That's why even when Jesus was asked the signs of his coming, And all the signs are terrible. Signs are terrible. And days look so evil and impossible. But the final word is that in the midst of all this, the gospel shall be preached to all the nations and the end shall come. The stretching of the kingdom is going on. We may not see it in the visible, but no one really sees the work God is doing. God is always at work as Jesus told his disciples. I and my father at work from the beginning and still, if I'm right, that John 5 17. Okay. So today we will go to second Peter verse one, chapter one and verse 10 and 11. <clears throat> 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On Sunday we looked at, do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Ignorance kills you. Or it deprives you of your crown in heaven. It can kill you and take you to hell. If people do not know about Jesus Christ, they don't hear the gospel. What happens? Ignorance can kill you. And then after you know the Lord, ignorance can still deprive you of the victory. The Bible says he takes us in triumph in Christ Jesus every day, every place. That's a promise. And that's an emphatic statement God makes. Therefore, we need to realize we're ignorant of spiritual gifts will be always like uh, like a bird trying to fly with one wing or a man trying to function with one hand tied behind him. Okay, So please remember in the same way the Bible here talks about be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble So, what are these things we need to do? Look at that one verse and it says, if you do these things, you will never. does not say, if you do this thing. It's not just one thing. These things, there are certain things we need to do. And it says, if you do it, and you learn the life habit of doing these things, living in them, walking in them, the Bible gives us an incredible promise. I mean, the word of God, God gives us a promise. You will never stumble. Why is this important? Because Peter knows, the man who is writing, he's writing at his old age, when prophets and men of God write in their old age, those letters sometimes have so much weight, because it's not just the Spirit of God speaking through them, the Spirit of God speaking through a mature vessel. Like when you hear when you are young from the Lord and when you hear from the Lord when you are older in the Lord, not older in age, older in the Lord, your understanding changes. So Peter is the one who This is his last words to the church and he knows what it is to stumble, to fall. He knows in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32, God had said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Okay, He knows what it is to fail, to fall so miserably. He knows. And his response is like, many of us, our response is like that. You know, the next two verses, his response is there, 33 and 34. Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And we respond like him. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. See, what is this? This is zeal without knowledge. Because zealous. But I want you, brethren, that you are not ignorant. Ignorant. Okay. Now if you ask Peter at this point, will you fall? She will say, nope. Then I had zeal. I have zeal and wisdom. I will not feel. I have learned how not to stumble. How not to stumble. Why this is important. This is very, very, very important because when the actual shaking takes place, the actual sifting takes place, and it's taking place. God has started. 2020 He started shaking like never before, and the shaking and the sifting taking place, what happens? People will fall left, right, and center. They will fail. They will fall. Look at, because stumbling is not an option. We have to be careful. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses one to four, the Bible says. Yeah, can we be a little faster so that we don't miss time? The brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you. This is the hope of the remnant believing church. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. When all these things happen, don't be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay? He says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. So, warning is there. The day is not going to come before. Okay, Lord, please take me before I fall. God says, no, there will be a tremendous falling away. Just sure that you are one whos who doesn't fall away. Because you cannot fall away unless you are standing. So it's not people who did not hear the gospel. It is people who heard the gospel. It's people who received the gospel in one way or other. But they fall away. Why do they fall away? Because they were ignorant of those things they should have done so they would not stumble. That's why ignorance can kill you ignorance can kill you okay so there's a falling away and when that comes and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition there will be lawlessness the man of sin will be revealed let's go to the next verse first timothy verse 4 1 again the bible says first timothy 4 1 now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times in the last days Some will depart from the faith. Why? Because they give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Why did they fall from the faith? Because they did not these things. They did not do these things which would not cause them. Because why? They were deceived. You said, warned about deception? Why are you deceived? Because you are not rooted in the truth. Why did you go to believe the doctrines of the demons? Because you did not know the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. Therefore, Therefore, we have to be careful. So when Peter is writing, he has seen the whole nine yards before he dies. He's seen people come to the Lord. He knows, sees people leaving the church, people falling away. Paul also sees that. John also sees that. Now, these are the three apostles who have written who walked with Jesus Christ. One is John. One is Peter. Uh, sorry, one is Paul. He's, of course, he was not the original group. And the other is Peter. Peter writes here. Paul will write in 2 Timothy about how the whole church in Asia has turned back and almost everybody has left him. And John talks about those, they were not of us, they have left us. The spirit of Antichrist is working, deception is working. It does not mean people have left churches. They have left the faith. The doctrine has changed. The church is standing there. People are crowded. But it's not the doctrine of Christ. Something else has come in. So we have to be careful. So we are told to do by God certain things through the Holy Spirit, God, Spirit, His servant Peter to the church. If you do these things, we will never stumble in our faith. So when we go back to first, second Peter chapter one and verse one, all these things are being spoken. Okay. One, one, one. Verse one, not ten, verse one. Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. First remember, this letter is written to people of faith. Understand, okay? You need to have faith first. Otherwise, you may think you are standing when you are down. Forget about falling. You are you have not even come into the kingdom. So please remember, it is written to those who are saved, who have obtained like precious faith with us. Why does he say that? He says, if your faith is a faith which I have, you are saved. All faith does not save. It's the faith of God that saves. Okay. Everybody has faith. But it's the faith of God that saves. So first it is written, This has been written to people who are truly saved. If they have truly saved, then the faith is the same. The grace is the same. The righteousness is the same. It's all the same. There's no difference between anybody. The greatest apostle Paul, his faith was the faith God gave him. God gave everyone. as Romans 12.3. You don't have to go there. Everyone has given a measure of faith. That is God's own faith he gave us. Second, By that faith, we received grace to be saved. It is the grace of God. The grace of God saved Paul. The grace of saved us is the same grace. And what was given to us was the righteousness of God. Everybody gets the same righteousness. Righteousness of God. So remember, that is the foundation on which the letter begins. We have the same faith, saved by the same grace. We have the same righteousness. And then, when you come to verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the first thing that is mentioned to us over here, if I am right, six times or seven times in this letter, Peter will talk about the important part, the knowledge of God. In the next, like in between verse 2 and 8, five times, if I am right, the word knowledge is used. So the first thing we need to re- realize is among these things that we need to add. The first and the most important is the knowledge of God. This the knowledge of God. Okay, the first thing. Now look at it. It is the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It is not saying the knowledge about God. Listen, listen huge difference between these two the knowledge of god and the knowledge about god the knowledge about god are facts the knowledge of god is experiential greek has two different words for that one is gnosis which is for g n o s i s gnostics gnosis which is basically knowledge wisdom and epignosis epignosis to be to be translated is Correct, accurate knowledge. But remember, correct, accurate knowledge of God is only given by God. It cannot be given by man. I can acquire, anyone of us can acquire knowledge about God. Either through, now preaching, giving you knowledge about God. It's second hand information. It is second hand. Anyone who is hearing is hearing it from me you're not hearing from god you are hearing from me second hand information that is knowledge about god we have the word of god we read we can gather a lot of knowledge about god which is good which is not bad but it is still not accurate still not accurate until God comes into that picture and he speaks and He even if you read the Bible and you memorize the entire Bible, if the Spirit of God does not come upon the word you read and speaks to you, your interpretation could be wrong. That's why Scripture doesn't say faith comes from the word of God. Scripture says faith comes from hearing. Hearing. And if you don't hear, you have knowledge about God and knowledge could be Correct. I'm not saying per se your understanding is wrong, but you have no guarantee because you're still using your mind, your learning, your knowledge, your wisdom to understand God. It is not God revealing himself to you through the word which he has written because that is where epignosis comes in. So what the Bible is talking about, the knowledge of God and it is something in which we will grow in eternity. All through eternity, we will be growing in the knowledge of God. The knowledge about God is more like facts, National Geographic, you know, Book of Records and all that. That is good. But ultimately, it will take you to hell if you do not have the knowledge of God. Hell is full of people with gnosis, the knowledge of God. Heaven will be full of people who have epignosis, the knowledge of God. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching, they all heard the gospel. But the Spirit of God came upon only 3,000 people whose hearts were cut. And you know what they heard? Thousands were sitting there. What they heard was everybody heard the same thing, the facts Peter was speaking but 3000 had an experience of hearing from God. It was within, in their heart. And they were convicted. And that began the movement that is called the church. So please understand, faith is not of the head. Faith is of the heart when God moves. So the Bible has these two words for knowledge. Knowledge of God and knowledge about God. Gnosis and epignosis. Okay. I mean more it is a Greek word, but we will understand it only in terms of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, verses sixteen and seventeen. Sixteen and seventeen. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you for ever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so he, he makes very clear okay he says the word of god is truth the word of god was written by the holy spirit and he says i will send him and he'll be in you he'll be with you and he will be in you so this is the one who reveals this is a person the Trinity, person of the Trinity, who reveals Scripture. And in words, makes knowledge about God, the knowledge of God. He's the one who makes it. And then verse 26, same chapter. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Okay? He will teach you all things. Okay? These things you do. But how do I know these things to do? Who will teach me? God says, he will teach you all things. All things he will teach you. Meaning, without him, I cannot learn these things. I cannot learn this. It's impossible for anybody to learn these things. You could have the most anointed preacher on planet earth coming, Jesus himself coming and teaching. And the Pharisees understood nothing because they rejected Jesus, and they rejected the Holy Spirit. So Jesus teaching them didn't make any difference at all, because they rejected the Holy Spirit who was teaching through him. And the book of the Bible, the New Covenant, is very clear. Even when Jesus rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1, it says he taught everything through the Holy Spirit. So if you reject the Holy Spirit, then even if Jesus teaches, you will not understand, because he is the teacher. He is the teacher. He said, I shall send him, and he will teach you, all things if you come to genesis uh, sorry john 16 and verse 13 to 15 13 to 15 yeah however when he the spirit of truth okay again it's used the word truth has come he will guide you into all truth see jesus is making it very clear and he's only talking these things to his disciples he says outside the spirit of god you're not going to understand anything you will not be able to learn without Him. Even what I have taught, you will forget. See, things of the world we can remember. Things of God you cannot remember unless He reminds you. Because it is Spirit. It is Spirit. You cannot remember. Things of God we can memorize our brain. You can memorize Scripture. You cannot memorize Revelation. It is not possible. Because it is Spirit. It is Spirit. And that is what God is. He will bring it to your remembrance. You will bring into your Remember, This is, the human brain is the, the most fantastic creation of God. But he says, even that cannot handle me. You will need my spirit to handle me. Handle my word without my spirit. And what happens? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Okay, whatever. Can you just somebody give me a pen from there? Yeah. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will not speak on his own authority. What he hears, and he will tell you things to come. Okay, He will tell you even of things that is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. We lost into that, okay. this 2 is working? Okay. We are good? Okay. Please note this. Okay. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and declare to you. Because what is the Holy Spirit actually doing? Because these things you have to be very, very careful. Because what is that? Grace and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will talk about to us about Jesus and about the Father. And if he talks about Jesus, you have understood the Father. Because everything that is of the Father are mine, he says. And he will take what is of mine and reveal it to you. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to reveal the Father through Christ to us? The knowledge of God, not knowledge about God. Remember, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Without the Holy Spirit, we will not know. This is personal. This is personal. This is not an intellectual thing. This is a personal experience. It's like an engineer who's finished his engineering. And then he starts his first day of work. Suddenly, he's with his machines. And you realize what you've got in your head. And the machines look like something You need to realize, you know what happens? There will be a senior mechanic over there. (laughs) You know who becomes his teacher? The mechanic becomes his teacher. He'll tell you, sir, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. works." And did that guy go to engineering college? No. But he knows how the machine works through experience. He knows. Okay, So we need to study the scripture, we need to read the scripture, we need to memorize the scripture. But don't forget, we have been given a personal guide who will be with us and in us, who will teach us through it. And when he teaches us through it, it becomes experiential. You know what we are learning? We are learning about God. Not about God, we learn God, of God. We have the knowledge of God. This is what Moses actually prayed, teach me your ways. Show me who you are, and God taught him His ways through. He said, "My presence will go with you." So who went with Moses? It was the Spirit of God. Okay, that is what Paul will say in Philippians three verses eight to ten, and Jesus will say in John seventeen three. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Please note it—not about Christ. Okay. People will not sacrifice everything for knowledge about something. Unless there are returns in it. He's not, he was a seminarian. He had gone into seminary. And he did not leave anything for seminary. He was hoping to gain much when he came out of seminary. But he's not talking about that. He's saying the knowledge of God. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom? Not for what. If you have come out with a knowledge about God, it's a DD, doctor in divinity. But this is not a doctrine in divinity. This is the knowledge of God, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain not a degree and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that is which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith that I may know him. It is always about a personal knowledge of Christ Jesus. In John 17 and verse 3, Jesus makes it very clear. This is eternal life that you may, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is what separates the scholar of the Bible and the believer. The scholar of the Bible knows only about God. The believer knows God. And that is eternal life. And it is the gap between heaven and hell. It's the gap between heaven and hell. That's the gap between Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man knew about God. And he had a message of repentance in the hell. And he suddenly has a spirit of discernment also. My five brothers are not saved. But... Hell brought him to the reality that I only know about God, I do not know God. Okay, this is a huge, that's that's, what is eternal life, that you know God. God is not a theology, it's not a set of doctrine, it's a person. All the doctrines are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a person. Like I said, a lot of people who have gnosis are rotting in hell sadly. In Daniel 11 and verse 32, this is what Daniel will say. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. The devil is able to corrupt people with flattery because they do not know God. They know about God, but they do not know God. But the people who know their God cannot be corrupted with flattery. Instead, they shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Those who know about God, he can flatter. They don't have a personal experience to stand upon and say no. Nope. We will not bend, we will not bow, we will burn. If a God wants to save us, he can save us. But if he doesn't save us, it's fine, but we know him. And we know one thing, we only worship him. Second Timothy chapter 1, and verse 12, again, Paul speaking. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. Not what I have believed. Actually, what is people do? They make the statement of the Nicene Creed, which is a good thing. <laughs> but if you don't know the person the creed is talking about and just repeat the creed, the creed is not going to take you anywhere. The creed is good if you know the person. If you don't know the person, the creed is not going to take you anywhere. So he does not talk about the creed. Though he talks about the creed in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. According to scriptures, according to scriptures, according to scriptures, according to scripture. But he says, you know, I know the one who's written in the scriptures. He met me on the road to Damascus. For I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You see, a believer's rest is in a person, not in what he has believed. But in whom he has believed. How do you know going to him? Well, I accepted Jesus on January the 23rd and then on 25th pastor baptized me and I attended every service since then. That's not going to save you. It's a person. I know whom I have believed. Not what I have done. It's not what I is there in my mind. In whom I have believed the person, the person, the person committed to him until that day. And if you come to verse 13, it's telling Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He said, you have a doctrine? You heard my doctrine? My faith? remember, hold fast to that. In faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Don't detach the person from the doctrine. The doctrine will not help you. The doctrine and the person are one. And verse 14, he will give you the secret. He says, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Okay. He says, be watch, watch, watch. He says, watch the Spirit of God. He says, Let it not be just knowledge. It is a personal experiential knowledge as the Holy Spirit reveals Christ through the Word of God, through life. As you go through this, He reveals Christ and it becomes experiential and suddenly that part of your life has become the life of God. And you know, this is real. That was the difference why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus had knowledge about God. And with the knowledge about God, he correctly discerned, you are of God. You are of God. And Jesus said, I am of God. And The problem is, you are not of God. And unless you are born of the Spirit, you will not be of God. So he came in the night, left in the night, but thank God later he... So you see, There is a person and there is an idea. You can betray an idea and you can betray a person. When Jesus was standing trial before Pilate, the Jews rejected an idea. Jesus represented one idea of the kingdom of God Barabbas represented another idea of kingdom of God Jesus idea he represented was righteousness peace joy trial suffering pick up your cross everything Barabbas was instant revolution so two ideas were represented a rejected one and accepted but Judas betrayed a person Judas betrayed a person the Jews did not betray a person per se Though they said, we don't want him, we want Barabbas. There are two ideas. Judas betrayed a person. So understand that. We are talking about a person. So when people fall away, if anybody falls away, you have to reject that person. And actually the person you reject is the person of the Holy Spirit who is the person of Christ in you. So, we come back and look at the things which God has asked us to do. So always note the difference: the word of God, the God of the Word. If you go back to verse one, faith that knows God. Then only grace and peace. Yeah. First uh, second Peter, okay? Then only. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 2 who have the same faith, then only grace and peace can be multiplied. If you don't have faith, you don't have grace. <laughs> if you have grace, you have faith. If you have faith, you have grace. But only if you have faith, grace and peace can be multiplied. Please understand what he is trying to tell us. In the Bible, you will always notice the order is grace first and peace late. You cannot have peace first and grace. It is grace that brings peace. It is salvation that brings peace between us and God. But you here it is, says grace and peace must be multiplied. Multiplied. Why should it be multiplied? Okay, we'll come to that question. Okay. Daniel and his three friends, they knew God. The first trial was nothing compared to the next trial. And the next trial, okay, they were going through different trials. First was about food, then was about the dream, then was the statue. And you need to realize as the trials increased, they needed more grace, more grace. And if you need more grace, you need more peace to stand firm, stable, unshakable, unmovable in that situation a lot of people are running with the same grace for the same years because grace has not been multiplied because god has not been able to move them up in the trajectory of trials and testings so they are running with the same grace so they, they are at peace but if you look at them life is the same like in the children of israel in the wilderness there's no more tests they were going in circles there are no battles being fought No testing, no trials, no temptations, no tribulations, nothing. I mean, it's the same old mediocre. It's a believing life, but it is not up. It is gone into a plateau. So grace and peace is not being multiplied. It's not being multiplied. It has to be multiplied. Like I said, but how is it multiplied? It can be multiplied only in the knowledge of God. Only in the knowledge of God. So let's come back to the knowledge of God. How do you know about someone, about someone? Either you hear about someone from someone, or you read about someone from someone. The political figures and all these well-known figures, we never meet them, but we read about them constantly. So we hear, read about someone. But how do you know someone? The only way you can know someone is spending time with that someone. That someone has to be willing to give you time too. That someone should be willing to talk to you. He can give you time, like you go to big people. If you have a need, you go to a big person. Uh, He may not even say. Because first before you can go meet him, they will ask you, write what is your request and give it in a paper. And he will call you and look and go. You knew nothing about him. He only knew about your problem. So you cannot say you know God. God knew you. You did not know God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus knew every man, but he (laughs) did not commit himself into any man. That was in the beginning. Later he will, and now he does. But not fully. In little degrees only he will commit himself. So please remember, you will never know a person unless you choose to spend time with that person, and that person chooses to spend time with you. Two, Unless that person talks and you hear. He talks and you hear. So that is the first question Jesus asks who follow him. John chapter 1 verse 35 to 40 is when Jesus is revealed to the world for the first time. Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Is it below? So what did they receive? They received a little knowledge about God. About God. It's so not knowledge of God. It's so a knowledge about God. Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed him. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, What do you seek? The first question Jesus asked in the Gospel according to John. What do you seek? What is that you seek? They answered to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They answered Lord, where are you staying? He said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Okay, Where are you staying? So now what happened? They are moving from knowledge about Christ. They are going to get a little teeny-witty revelation about of Christ. They stayed with him that night. And you know what happened? Next day morning, Andrew got up he went to Peter and said, we have met the Messiah. Met the Messiah. Okay. Earlier he had heard about Christ as the Messiah from John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. But now it is not what he heard from John. It is his personal. Person. Okay. Earlier in Samaria, first in the beginning, a set of people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, listening to this woman's testimony. A little later they said they put their own trust in him because they heard from him, not from the woman. Now it has become personal. Okay, and that's what we are talking about. It has to become personal from knowledge about God to knowledge of God. So if you come back to words two and three of Second Peter, you will see there why this is important. <clears throat> Grace is multiplied according to the knowledge of God. Peace is multiplied according to the knowledge of God. And verse 3, yeah, can I put it together? Yeah, His divine power has been given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So peace, grace is multiplied through the knowledge of Him. Peace is multiplied through the knowledge of Him. Divine power is multiplied through the knowledge of Everything of God is only multiplied or increased. It doesn't even say addition. God is so good. He says multiplication. He doesn't say minus, plus or uh, division. He uses the term multiplication. If you want to receive something, multiplication is the best thing. Better than addition. He says Pe- grace, peace, power, everything is multiplied according to the knowledge of God. <coughs> and the thing is there, this is the issue. <coughs> God can give us everything. But what good is it if I do not know? No? No. Like it's like there have been times <coughs> really. I need money now. <coughs> Scrapping the bottom of the barrel. But did not know. There was much money hidden among many of my shirts by my wife. She forgot I did not know. Did it help me? No. <coughs> no. Then one day, when you are taking your shirts off, huh? where did this come from? Okay. When you were in need, was the money always there in your house? Did it do you any good? That's why right. God says my people perish because of knowledge. he didn't say because of lack lack means you did not give lack of knowledge meaning you have it but you do not know you have it but you do not know <clears throat> so God has given us every. his divine power has given to us all things not some things many things or almost all things all things that concerns life and godliness what is the point If I do not know. That's verse four. (laughs) By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. How, How do we, how do we receive everything God has given us? It is through promises. It is through promises. You know, those promises are great and precious if I do not know the promises. Now it is not about, you can memorize the entire scripture and not know the promises because the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal you the promise for this moment. You are still helpless. You may have a, a, a what you call it, the safe full of money and you don't have the code. You cannot unlock it. <clears throat> the code is with him. code is not with you. That's what the Bible is talking about. You have all the promises. Everything you need has been given. Everything has been given. And how do you withdraw it? Through the promises. And now when it comes to the promises, <coughs> the issue is Ephesians 1, three. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There are promises and there are blessings. These are connected. You know what? They are in one person. All the promises are in a person. That is why you cannot have the promise without the person. And if you try to have the promise without a person, it will destroy you. It is all in a person. So you have promises, 8,000, 9,000 promises or more. I mean, scholars go through and put a number that 8,000, these many promises, 9,000 promises, which is not true. What does not even look like a promise in the Bible can become your promise when the Holy Spirit shows it to you. Because the Holy Spirit can make the Word of God alive personally. Nobody may make sense of you. It makes total sense for you because the Holy Spirit is for you. Not for anybody. Not for anybody. You know? Let me, let me. (coughs) Hebrew theologians for centuries, for years, and then even till now, rabbis study. But they could never figure out certain Verses of the scripture because it applied to Jesus only and not to any other man. About him being pierced, his clothes being divided, hanging between two things. Everything was there. Nobody understood because it was meant for nobody. It was only meant for him. Okay? It was only meant for him. And then when it was meant for him, he said, this is what's about me. Did you see? Okay, so please don't go by theology and say you have promised books and all. All that is good. God gave me a promise which may be to you from a word which doesn't even, from the Bible, which doesn't even look like a promise. It may look like a promise. Or he may just speak to you. He may just speak to you. And nobody may believe you. I always think about, you know, hmm, what is that? Ah, his name. My friend, what is his name? The one who traveled around the world. <coughs> Prasan. Now, is there such a promise in the Bible? That you will travel or you will be the man who will travel to every nation under the sky in the shortest time period. Is there any such promise? But God gave it to him and he did it. He's the only man who has to travel to every country in the world in the shortest time possible. He's broken the world record. I mean, it is impossible to break his record. Because that was a record set by God. But it's given to him. Now people all look, I want to be like Benible. For what? Did God tell you? You need to have his faith. Maybe for something else. You don't need to be like him because there can be only one person like him. One person like him. Even if another person travels to all these nations for a lesser time, his record is still not a record because that was won by, by you and this was done by God. It's a different thing altogether. You to do that will need all the money in the world and sponsors and everything. This man had no money, nothing and how the way God opened these doors were It was simply God. It was simply God. So, <coughs> remember, God can give you a promise. The promises are all in Christ Jesus. And when you get these two together, the promise and the person together, you get Corinthians 120. <coughs> that is when you get these two together, remember? Yeah, first Corinthians. I gave it to you, no? It's not there? Oh, I am so sorry. Well, that's why you are struggling. I was looking at you and wondering, why are you guys struggling? Didn't I give it to you? Okay. <coughs> If you people are f- feeling hot, you can put that AC on. So this is coming. No, no, no. The AC on. Sammy can put the AC on. Okay? <clears throat> yeah. Where is... Oh, oh. Second. Yeah. Not first. Cor- is it first? Cor- yes. Second. Second. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. For all the promises of God in him. You see that? Oh, we have been given this precious and great Anmol. Hindi will say use that word Anmol. Why it strikes to me that for years I dropped my children to the school. The next building was Anmol Hotel. And I never understood what it was until I read the Hindi translation of, of these words where it comes Anmol. Okay. For all the promises of God in Him are in Him. The promises and the person comes together. I.S and in Him, Amen, to the glory of God through us. Both have to come together. The promises and the person has to come together. And then what happens? It comes alive. It is yes and Amen. You cannot have one without the other. You should not have one without the other. So we need to know that we all that we need is given already through the knowledge of Him. Okay? The knowledge of him. For what? If you go back now. For what? Divine power. Because you have to also, what is it given for? Because all these things have to be put in order. Otherwise we will go wrong. For what? His divine power, okay? His divine power has given to us all these things. For what? So that he would partake of his divine nature. That's the reason. Because power is a very, very, very dicey word. Okay. So that we can partake of His divine, escape the corrupt, that you may be partakers of the divine nature, divine power, and promises, through the promises you appropriate the divine power. Everything in life is given so that we partake of the divine nature. So there is a book full of promises, or the person himself can give you a promise. Okay, can give you a promise. God hasn't changed. He can personally give people promises. I will never negate, right? Like, do we, do we know what was the promise given to Timothy? No. But the Bible says it was given to him. And it says, hands were well laid. You received a gift also. Prophecies were given. So it still continues. It still continues. Okay, so you can receive it still. But remember, there is a person. Then there is the word of God. And there is a person of the word of God. So everything has been given, but it is through the knowledge of him. And in every situation that you and I will go through, the Bible says, you have the grace to overcome. Grace multiplied and the peace to be unshakable as you go through that situation. Grace and peace be multiplied. But if you are not moving up, you don't need grace to be multiplied. Right? Now let us, let us think about it. You know, government of India has this. If you are a central government employee or an employee, they have cities called B class cities and A class cities. If you are transferred in the same job from B class city to A class city, your allowances go up. Why? Because your Uh, expenses go up, right? So, if your life is stationary and you are fighting, no battles are not interested, why should you multiply grace for you? Has your expenses gone up in the spiritual realm? That you need more grace? You know why people do not ask for more grace? Because most people have quit their fights, their battles. They just made peace with the devil. Please leave me alone, I will leave you alone. The devil says, Good, we have a karar. You know. But God says, You're never supposed to have peace with the enemy. You're supposed to be battling with him every day and triumphing over him every day. Then suddenly we will realize we need grace and we need peace. Understand this as a picture in the old testament. In his father's house, Joseph needed grace to handle ten hostile brothers. While he handled them, he had peace, and he served them. In Potiphar's house, you are the only Hebrew slave. You are youngest among them, one of the youngest among them. He needed even more grace in an alien culture, in an unknown place, unknown home. More grace and multiplied peace to remain unshakable, and yet continuously served. So you know what it is all coming through the knowledge of God as he is moving up he's understanding God better and better then suddenly he's thrown into the prison when he's thrown into the prison he needs even more grace to handle the dungeon and even more peace to be unshakable in that sense, and continue serving God and man his knowledge of God has increased he knows of God others and all can talk about God this man knows God from there, suddenly after 13 years, he's plucked and he's made second to the Pharaoh. You need to understand, he needs even more grace than he has ever needed before because now the burden of an entire nation has been put Upon him, he's the only one who has a revelation of what is coming. He needs even more grace and even more peace to handle the situation without being shaken. There's seven years of absolute plenty. You have to have peace to handle it. Seven years of absolute famine, unshakable during that. You know, he needs multiplied grace and peace, and it all comes through the knowledge of God. It is not that when you are moved from the prison or the palace, you need less grace. You need more grace because God is putting you more responsibility, more authority, more service into your hands. So the Bible talks about grace and peace to be multiplied according to the knowledge of God. Before that can happen, remember, one thing has to be settled in life. One of the Fundamental issues Christians believe. One thing has to be settled. It is a question of authority. Only man or a woman or a child believing who has settled this question and comes under authority will God trust with authority and power. He will not. If you go back, that's why I asked for a pen, lest I forget. John 16 you know i wrote it down and verse 13 however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority see the trinity though they are equal they all have settled the issue of authority when jesus came he settled the issue of authority i will not speak on my own i'll speak what i've heard the father i will do what the father he settled the situation of authority father gave all power and authority into his hands The Holy Spirit, when He comes, He settles the question of authority. He will not speak on His own. He will only speak. So the Father has given all the power into the hands of the Holy Spirit because authority has been settled. lot of people, the question of authority still has been settled. They're still struggling with settling this question of authority. And if you don't, God has got all these promises. God has all these plans for the church, for His people. God is not a respecter of persons. But God says, this thing has to be settled first. Once you settle that first, God says, I can open the windows of heaven for you. I can use you. I can use, I can use you as a child to all the days of your last days like Samuel. Because Samuel, one thing was clear. He had settled the question of authority in his life and outside his house. The only place he could not settle the question of authority was in his house. Therefore, his children fell apart. But everywhere else, the question of authority was settled. Okay? So, one of the first things we need to Settle is the visible. Let us be about the visible. Because we have a visible world and an invisible world. The visible, we'll start with the visible. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture. You know why church is in a shambles around the world? Because most of the pastors and most of the script Christians, especially in the Western world, no longer believe all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Or rather God breathed. It's absolutely inspired by the Spirit of God. They don't believe anymore. You know, once you have taken away the... That's what is... Why, why is U.S. in a mess? Because they've taken away the authority of God's scripture. And if America has to come back, the church has to come back, not the first thing to church and from behind pulpit, every man of God has to decide this question of authority. You know what? I will live by this and I will die by this. That's what the three friends of Daniel says. We know one thing. We have settled this question of authority. It is not about you or God. It is God always. It's always God. If what you say does not contradict our God, we have no issues, Your Majesty, in obeying you. But if what you say contradicts my God, authority will always settle. When did you settle it? On that day when we made a decision about a food, a food item on your table. The question of authority was, we think, we don't understand what they were doing on that day at the dining table. They were settling the question of authority in their heart, and therefore they could go. All the others never settled the question of authority. Hundreds of sons of Judah were brought in. They never settled the question of authority, so they were never remembered in history. And God could not use them. And that's what is happening over there. We have to settle. We don't have to know all the scripture. We may not be able to memorize all the scripture. We may in our whole lifetime never finish studying the whole scripture. But we can settle the questioning of the authority of scriptures. Authority of scripture. All scripture is by God. Inspired by God. And What is it profitable for? Four things. It is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for reproof. It is profitable for correction. And it is... Profitable for instruction. All in righteousness. So let me explain to you in simple words and we'll go to the next Lordship. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching about what is right. What is right? What is reproof? Reproof is teaching about what is not right. What is correction? Correction is teaching about how to get right. And what is instruction? Instruction teaching how to stay right. Okay. Okay. That is what, and you put all these rights together, it is called righteousness. Okay. It is called righteousness. So the first, we have to settle down. If you have any doubt, we go back to the word. We don't back to culture. We don't back to culture. You know? We have this issue with the Western world always, sadly it always <laughs> comes now, because now we are, before this TV came in, live streaming came in, they were saying, uh, oh, we love your wife, we love so much, but why did she have to cover her hair? Always, that will come because we stand on the authority of the scriptures. When Pastor, I mean, when you pray or prophesy, the Bible says you should cover. Not always. You don't have to walk around covering your head, but when you, when you're standing, when you're, okay, when you're standing, meaning when you are ministering in the name of God. Now, people will say Corinthian Church was like that and that. Wait a second. Wait a second. Where did you get that from? Does the Bible say that? <coughs> the Bible say that. No? Does the Bible. Does Paul say in that same words that we have no other practices in all the, ch- any of the churches of Christ? So it was not connected with God. Then they will say, but doesn't the Bible say hair is given to woman as a covering? Isn't that there in the scripture? I said, yeah. But the problem, this problem is not about covering. The problem is about glory. Doesn't that same scripture say hair is the glory of the woman? So it is not about covering. It is about glory. Because if you don't reflect glory, you don't need covering. So the issue is not with covering, the issue is with glory. Understood? The issue is not with covering. You have to go deeper to understand what is this whole issue about. The issue is about uh, glory. It's not about covering, it's about glory. Man should not cover his head because he reflects the glory of God. So it is not about covering, it's about glory. And we will understand when you go further, glory has got to do with righteousness. God has got to do with righteousness. Why did Jesus uh, get baptized by John? He said to fulfill righteousness, righteousness. So there are a lot of things which we have to do. And if you don't do it, we don't fulfill righteousness. It is not that we are not righteous, but we don't fulfill the righteousness of God. Okay? We do not fulfill the righteousness of God. So here what is happening is, this is where scripture comes. When you are in doubt, go back to the word of God. Don't go outside the word. Outside the word you will find everything in every culture. Don't bring it into the word of God. Because we are not a culture people. We are a kingdom people because this is God to do. Does that mean you are not saved? Of course not. Does that mean you are not filled with the Holy Spirit? Of course not. Does that mean God is not using you? Of course not. But, He will hold you back. You may not hear certain things which God wants to tell you because our obedience still hasn't come to that point where you need to come, okay? So, this is just to give you an example of the authority of Scripture. Authority of Scripture. Second, the authority of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Remember, now the Lordship is... We ask when we say, uh, I receive Jesus as Savior, Lord and Savior. When you talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? It is the Lordship of the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. Because that is the Spirit of Christ. So there is the authority of the Word of God and the authority of the Holy Spirit. You cannot tell, Jesus, I am under you, but I don't like this person who speaks to me. <laughs> he says, that's I who am speaking to you. I am the one who is speaking to him. Do you know when I walked on earth, he says, you know what? I was absolutely under his lordship. Absolutely under his lordship. So it is lordship of the Holy Spirit. Why? We want grace and peace to be multiplied. We have divine power to partake of the divine nature. Everything is connected with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God in is issue is that the question of authority has to be settled. And the first thing about authority is scripture. Because I and I, you have it. God has given us the blessing of being able to read. Others who cannot read are able, still able to listen. But even when you listen, you need to accept the authority of God. And the Thessalonian church, Paul had so much good to say about them because he said, I believe many of them could not read. And they did not have scriptures, but they heard. They said, when you came, and when we came and preached to you, though you heard the word of God from men, you did not receive it as the word from men. You received it as the word of God. Therefore, it worked in you. You know what? In they were hearing from Paul, they had settled. When that man speaks, it is God speaking. <laughs> Settle. God worked in them. Worked in them. And all the others who will, we're not because. Now you don't have, you don't have scripture. You have only apostles. And what is coming out of the mouth is basically epistles. And they received it as the word of God. But we don't have to go that way with preachers today. We listen to them. We agree with the word of God and we agree. What they agree what they say, we agree and we receive it as the word of God. So that has to be settled. The Holy Spirit's lordship has to be settled. When we are settling the Holy Spirit's lordship, know to these things. Remember, when the Holy Spirit comes, Christ comes. Acts chapter 5, 3. Do not lie to the Holy Spirit. You can lie and get away with almost anybody in the world. Do you want to get away by lying to the Holy Spirit? So, one thing you need to do, I need to do, we need to do, is always be honest with the Holy Spirit. Don't lie to Him. First point of the Lordship of the Holy Spirit, you don't lie to Him. Second thing, Acts 5, 9. How is that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Don't test Him. The children test parents. No, They test the parents. Don't test Him. Don't test Him. Acts 7.51 You stiff neck and uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. It's all part of Lordship. Don't lie to Him don't test him don't resist him Efficiency for 420 oh 420 so next one don't grieve i think 490 3030 not 20 it was 30330 30, 30. what is the fourth one don't grieve the holy spirit don't grieve the holy spirit You come to the fifth one. This is the order in which goes. Not necessarily, but there's an order. Fifth one, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And of course, the most terrible one, don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening now. Many of the pulpits, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit by saying, God accepts uh, gay lifestyle, gay marriages a gay clergy god accepts abortion it is your choice it's your body when pulpits turn you know what they have blasphemed they have blasphemed it's not quenching they're moving to the point of blaspheming the holy spirit by saying he is he agrees to what we say when he says calls it an abomination so don't blaspheme so what do you do with the lordship these are the things which you don't do what is that you do? You be convicted of the Holy Spirit. John 16, we saw that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you. Be keep yourself. Be convicted of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, be empowered of the Holy Spirit. Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And we need more and more power. Okay, It all goes with the knowledge of God. And third, be led by the Holy Spirit. This is how the lordship of the Holy Spirit comes. So you have to settle this question of authority before we can ever move forward. The authority of the scriptures and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Then God says, everything can be multiplied. I can show you things. I can reveal to you things. I can use you to the uttermost. But these things have to be settled first. And if these things are not settled first, we can have all the promises and they are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We hardly partake of anything. The things have not been settled. Things have not been settled. It's all been given. That's what the Bible is. It's not saying we'll give. Everything in the Bible is always in past tense. When was this done? 2000 years ago. Okay. And the account has never been closed. It's still live. Active. Okay. Only problem? We struggle with certain things. There was a story. I remember a long time ago when I was young. I read a story about a young man. His father was a godly man. He tried talking to his son. He was a teenager. You know how teenagers are in America, this young man. And, you know, father kept talking. This He was going to turn 18. And he was there. You know, 18 is a big day for them. Unlike us, it's another day. That's all. For them, 18 is a big day. The day of liberty. He had been telling his father, 18, I get my driving license. I want a car. want a new car. My father said, and father used to talk to him about oh, God, Christ, this thing, but this boy was like stubborn. So on the eighteenth birthday he came to his father's study. He came to his father's study. The father had was a gift wrapped on a table, and I said, Here son, your gift. The fun was like you know, he opened the gift and looked it was a Bible. He was so mad he said I don't want your Bible, I don't want your God I said I wanted a car. I money for a car and he just stormed out of the study. He went to his room in a half, packed his bag. You know how they are at eighteen; He cannot stop. He walked out of the house, never came back. He went through life everything. Years and years and years later, he got a letter or a call or whatever those years I can't remember, saying his father was dead and that he needed to come home to settle things. So he comes back home I don't know the rest of the story. So just a small little story which I had read. He comes back home. And he sees, he goes through, looks at everything. He goes into his father's study. Everything is arrayed. Then he shows on his father's study. That book and the wrapper is still sitting at that table. It has been kept there all these years. So he went with nostalgia, grief. He went, he looked at the Bible. He saw his father written to my son on his 18th birthday. Then he opened up. And look, there was an envelope. And he took the envelope out and he looked and there was a check. And in the check, he looked at the date. It was the date he had walked out of his house. There was a check in for $5,000 or $6,000 for his car. It was there. And all these years, he had lived thinking that his father had not given him what he asked, but it was in the book. And that's what God is, God is saying. Everything that you need has been given. the problem? The problem is the boy did not open the book. The boy did not know his father. He did not know his father. That was the problem with the elder son. The elder son did not know his father. He lived in the house, but he did not know his father. The father said, all this was yours. Why? why You could have killed and had a party for your friends anytime. Why did you think I was the person who didn't want you to have a good time? You see, one boy went out. He didn't know his father. He came back knowing his father. Another fellow lived with him, and he did not know the father. That's why God says, there is the word of God. There is the God of the word. Word of God. And if things are not settled, we will never grow in the knowledge of God. And God says, you know what? Grace will be multiplied. Peace will be multiplied. Power will be multiplied. Promises will be multiplied. You start with one promise and then suddenly promises are coming. All will be multiplied. Okay. Now go back to verse three again. And we have to read carefully there. Second Peter, yeah. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Whose life? His life. Whose godliness? His godliness. Okay? His divine power. Because once you are saved, you have a target. Like Paul, we should have a target. You are the target. I want you. So it is his life and his godliness. It is not anything looking sideways. I want to be like that. I want to prosper. That is not the enlargement we are talking about. Enlargement is there. You see, this way, if you enlarge and after some time, you will fall into the ocean. That's only as far as you can go. But if you enlarge up, there is no limit. So if you want to put as a man has a target, there's a limit you will enlarge. But if you put God as the target, you know there is no limits. And Paul was very smart. He said, you know what? I want to be like you. I want to know you. And you are the one I want. So we have to get it very clearly. When it's talking about his divine power has given all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Whose life? Whose godliness are we talking about? The life of Christ. And the godliness of Christ. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. How did he call us? By glory and virtue. We'll leave virtue out. Because virtue will be in the list. There are seven things mentioned about the one of them is uh, add to faith. What is that? Virtue. And to virtue, and add knowledge. Knowledge will again come out. So we'll leave virtue out for another day. But let's go back. How did he call us? He called us by Glory. Glory. What does that mean? He called us by glory. Where did glory suddenly come in over there? Let's look Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. And what happens when we sin? We fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now go to verse 21 onwards. Let us read. Now the righteousness of God Apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. For 23. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So when God talks about glory, what is glory connected with? With righteousness. So how does God restore us back to glory? By bringing us back to righteousness. This is not the righteousness of man. This is not the righteousness of works. This is not the righteousness of religion. This is not the righteousness of law. This is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. That's why, remember, that day when we looked at Galatians 2.20, we said, don't read NKJV, read only KJV, because only KJV got it right, because the faith is not the faith in God, in the Son of God, the faith of God. Faith is of God. Grace is of God, peace of God, righteousness is also of God. We need to understand why it's so important is that when somebody, when God declares somebody righteous, what is he giving us? He is giving us the very righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God is glorious. The righteousness of man is not glorious, the righteousness of the law is not glorious, the righteousness of God is glorious. The righteousness of law is glorious. But the problem is nobody can attain that righteousness. What does the Bible say? If you break one point of the law, you are broken in everything. Now people will say, how is that possible? I'll tell you how is that possible. Okay? Let me tell you. You take an elephant. No, don't take an elephant. You can take something smaller. Take a dog. Go to How can we go to Kerala to get an elephant? Okay? Get a dog. Buy a long leash, chain. And tie him. Let us say the leash has 100 links. For the, for the dog to be free, how many links does he have to break? Only one. Does he have to break 100 links to be free? No, just one. So you understand. Only one link is broken, the dog is free. You have 100 laws, you break one, you're a lawbreaker. So you have to stay within, you have to keep all the 100 links. You break one, you're breaking them all. You're free, go. Nobody is running after a dog with a who's broken leash will say, he's going with 25 links, he's going with 20. nobody says he's gone, broken and gone. Nobody's counting the links. That's a problem when people before God and say, Lord, I kept 10 and 99 part of the law, he says you're a lawbreaker. Just move aside. Move aside. The lawbreaker. So we need to understand when God is talking about the glory, where, do, because we have these pictures of this halo and light and halogen light and all these things, okay? <laughs> that is not glory. Where does His glory come from? His glory comes from His righteousness. His righteousness. When God justifies us freely through Christ Jesus, what is He imputing in us? He's imputing in us His own righteousness. That is the glory. Are we getting it? That is why we are. the heavens doesn't look at people the same way. Angels don't look at people the same way. When he sees the believers who have put their trust in Jesus Christ alone and God's righteousness imputed, they see them as God's righteous. That's why he says no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. For every lying that rises against us, judgment we condemn it, for our righteousness is of God. Of God. It is See, the, the language is important. It doesn't say that our righteousness is by God. It is of God. Meaning of God means God's own righteousness. Okay, when uh, when uh, the judge declares you not guilty, he's not giving you anything of his righteousness. He looks at the law. Go. He did not give anything of him. And we don't want anything of him. For he may be a crook sitting on the bench. God is not just pronouncing you not guilty and giving you a chit. He is your His own righteousness and imputing on you. And He says, you know what? You are not just not guilty. That was there in the Old Testament. Therefore, you could be forgiven. You are being declared righteous like me. Just. It is not also that. It is not just you have not been sinned also. It is not even that. It is more than that. The very righteousness of God is given to us. And that is why Jesus says, who can condemn you? Who is your accuser? Who can accuse the righteousness of God? That's what he means. Okay? When God is talking about Israel in the wilderness, he says, I see no iniquity in Jacob. What is it? He says, I've covered them with my righteousness. And I will deal them with his sons. That is what he's talking about. It's the righteousness of God. It's not just, see, that is justification, just as if we haven't sinned. That is only one part of it. I haven't sinned. Does that mean I am righteous like God? No, no. To be righteous like God, God has to take His righteousness and give it to me, impute it into my soul. No, He forgives me. He takes everything off me as if I just did not sin at all. I'm I'm, I'm made innocent. It's just not I'm made innocent. I've been imputed the righteousness of God, and that's the glory what the Bible is talking about. So please remember when. Uh, Paul talks about, Peter talks about it. These are the last words of this great apostle. And he has now great depth. The Holy Spirit is able to speak to him more clearly now than on the day of Pentecost. Because he has grown, multiplied in grace and peace and the knowledge of God. And Bible says, we have obtained like precious faith. We have obtained like precious righteousness we have been restored back to glory. We have been restored. The glory of God, that what are we reflecting now? We are reflecting the glory of God. So when God's children walk around, we reflect the glory of God. Why? We have the righteousness of God and the angels know. Otherwise, how will angels unto to whom God is sending them to be ministered? Because he knows in the spiritual realm everyone has glory. And the others don't have glory. We have glory. We can't see, the world cannot see, but they can see because we have the righteousness of God. And they are sent to us to minister because we are carrying the righteousness of God. Are we getting the picture? So, when we come back, okay, when we come back, let's come back to Second uh, Peter, chapter 1. Uh, go to verse 4. We have been given to us exceeding great precious promises that through this you may be partaker of what? The divine nature. That's the divine nature. But God is perfect in righteousness. We have been imputed with righteousness. We have to grow in righteousness. If you go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, you will see this. And the child grew. Who is the child? Does he have a divine nature? Yes. So is he growing in the divine nature? Yes. He's growing strong in the spirit. Meaning he's growing in the spirit. He's growing in wisdom. and Grace is being multiplied. And the grace of God was upon him. So he has the divine nature. But he's growing in the divine nature. God has given us divine nature. But the question is, are we growing in divine nature? And it is important that we grow in divine nature. When God imputed His righteousness into us, what He imputed is His own divine nature. That is His nature. What is His nature? He's righteous, and all His ways righteous. Moses understood it only in the last day of his life. He understood. He said, "You know what? Now I look back, I realize all your ways are right. There is nothing unrighteous you can do because of your divine nature. What is the nature? Your divine nature. You are righteous. Therefore, everything you do is righteous." Okay. So he has imputed, now he says, grow in divine nature. And Now, nature is important. Why is nature so important? Because nature will determine a lot of things. First thing nature deter- determines. Nature will determine appetite. Pig likes slop. Why? So pig's nature. Dog likes going back to its vomit. Why? Because the dog's nature. Sheep likes green pastures. Why? Because of sheep's nature. Are we getting the picture? God says, your nature will determine your appetite. So if you have been imputed with the nature of God, your appetite also will change. But you have to learn to train your appetite. You have to grow in that appetite. Our nature will determine our appetite. So grow in the spirit, the person who wrote the scriptures. Grow in the knowledge of God, the life of the person who wrote the scriptures. And grow in grace. That's what Peter will say, his last life. Grow. You have to appetite. You've been given that appetite because nature determines appetite. Now grow in grace. Grow in the knowledge. Okay? Grow. Because nature, divine nature, will determine divine appetite. Human nature will determine human nature. So pigs have a nature, dogs have a nature, sheep have a nature. Some animals will drink. You have to watch National geography. Animals will like water where flies are. Most animals will come and drink, but sheep don't. Sheep mostly sheep will drink only from still waters. That's why David says, he leads me to the green pastures and still waters. Why? That's its nature. And God says, what is your nature? What is your nature? Because nature will determine what you will look for. What is your appetite? Second thing, nature will determine behavior. Nature will determine behavior. Okay, let's look at fish. What do they do? Yeah, don't go there, don't go there. We haven't come there yet, okay? What do fish do? Fish swim. Why do fish swim and not walk? Because that's their nature. Birds fly. Animals crawl, walk, stand, whatever animals do. What is the reason? Because that is their nature. What do saints do? They walk by faith. Why? That's their nature. How does God walk? By faith. Okay, saints walk by faith. Second Corinthians five seven. Walk by faith. Why? Because they realize only faith can produce the righteousness of God. That is Romans one seventeen. So, what is your nature? It produces behavior. What is the behavior? Fish swim, birds fly, animals run or walk. But God's children walk by faith. Why? That's your nature. Why? God walks by faith. God doesn't go to a lab and do many, many testings before. He just does everything by me. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be by word. And what does the child of God do? He does exactly the way. He hears from God and he does. Like Jesus did. He hears from God and he does. He looks at what God has said and he does. Because why? That is his nature. His appetite. Sorry, his nature. Determines his behavior. Third thing. Nature will determine your environment. Fish live in water, not in air. Birds prefer the air. Animals prefer the land. Your environment. Hebrews 12 and verse 14. What do God's children? Pursue peace with all people and Holiness without which no one will see God. This is the environment we want to live in. Why do we, why do we pursue peace? Pursue peace. No? No? We pursue peace because that's the environment we have to live because we know we don't want people messing up the peace which God has given us. That peace is, has to be protected. So we know I need peace with God, I need peace with men. So we settle all issues with men and some people we stay away from. Because they disturb our peace. But we have to do it. The Bible, the book of Proverbs, is full of staying away from people who disturb your peace. We don't have to go and mess up our peace with people who do not give us peace. Okay, the Bible says, as far as possible, within you perceive with men, peace with men. So we have to guard our peace because that is the environment in which we live. What is the environment? Godliness and peace. Okay, so fish live in water, birds prefer the air. Animals like the land, saints prefer the environment of peace and godliness. Righteousness, godliness, holiness. No, you put righteousness and holiness together, you get godliness. Okay, a simple equation. Math, my simple math again. You put righteousness and holiness together, you get the life of God. What is that? Godliness. What is God? Righteous and holy. Okay. So you pursue peace with man. And you pursue holiness with God. So you have an environment. Why? Your nature determines your environment. Your nature determines your appetite. Your nature determines your behavior. Your nature determines your... That is how you check whether you are walking by faith, whether you are really saved or not. How do I know I'm really saved? Because you know what? Once the nature comes and things start changing. Your appetite starts changing. And people keep on saying that I cannot read the word of God. I fall asleep. You know what? Go check your nature. Because How come you don't fall asleep when you read Milson Boone, sit late in the morning and shh, oh, I was looking for a man like that to come on a white horse. Nobody's coming. He's already come and gone two thousand years ago, and you don't receive him. you're looking for some dude who will come and mess up your life. You can sit and read that for hours together. No, problem. you can sit before the t v watch for hours together. You know what is a problem. The problem is with your nature. Maybe you are born again, but you did not feed that nature, that divine nature. You did not change, you did not trace. So nature determines your appetite, your behavior, your environment. And then the fourth one, nature will determine your association or your company. So what do you talk about fish? A school of fish. The term used, shawl or a school of fish. You know, all kinds of fishes don't, uh, fish don't mix together. You see, the the from Canada and U.S. you have this incredible videos of these salmon going upstream. You don't see mackerel and salmon going together. No, only salmon go together. No. Birds also, you will see birds go according to their groups. No, have you ever seen a cat and a dog walking together? Rarely, and it's an event. It's an I had a puppy and I had a cat and a kitten and they were friends. But when they grew up, they became the worst enemies. I don't know what changed because when they were puppies, were they were small, they were innocent. Like I said, you can train your appetite. You can train your appetite. You know that you can train your appetite because I had a dog which loved mangoes and a cat which would eat papaya. Trained. <laughs> don't fight for meat and bones all the time. Trade. The dog you could literally see that when I'm eating mango, the fellow is to sitting there in front of He said, Okay Tommy, go over there, here take this. And you would run. And the cat used to be sitting and eating papaya on the other side. You can train. Don't think you can, if you can train a dog to eat mango, God can, His Spirit can train a child of God to love the things of God. You have to train your appetite because He's given you a divine nature. So the fourth thing is nature will determine your association or your company. Fish, school of fish, flock of birds, pride of lions, pack of wolves. And our company is called Ecclesia. The called out ones, the separated one, the company of saints. You know, almost every letter in the Bible is addressed to the saints of the church. So if you don't like the company of saints, check your nature. Check your nature. Once you are saved, they gathered steadfastly, 3,000 of them, steadfastly. They were suddenly separated from the Jewish. They were all part of the Jewish company. Suddenly 3,000 separated themselves from that company and they gathered steadfastly. They lived together, literally. Because you know what, they have no Bible, they have no services, nothing. They just have these apostles. So they decided, you know, we're going to stay back and learn what all we can during this time we have with them. They all lived together, they ate together, they study together. The word of God, they became a called out one. And God was adding to them, others were being saved. Your nature will determine... Your association. So if your nature is the nature of flesh, you will grow together, sportsmen, gather cricketers, gather together. It's okay. When you go out, talk cricket and all that. But if your fellowship is only with cricket, or movies, or music, or anything else, then there is an issue because our nature has changed. We have been given a divine nature and we have been separated. We have been given divine power to partake of the divine nature. And you need to realize a lot of things need to change in me, or has changed, has to keep on changing. My appetite has to change. My behavior has to change. My environment has to change. My company has to change, with whom I associate. Why? Listen to what Gabriel told Mary, Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What is he telling here? The one who is going to be born of you, who will be that? He will be the Son of God. What is his nature? The nature of God. He will be the nature. He will have a divine nature. He is the nature of God. He is the Son of God because he is going to be birthed by the Holy Spirit. Now we go to John chapter 1. In the next two verses, as many as he received him, to them he gave the right to become what? Sons of God. What is the nature? The nature of God. Those who believe in him. Who were born not of blood. Nor of the will of flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. The same spirit birthed us. Okay. So he says your nature has changed. You have been given a divine nature. What do we have? We have the nature of God. We don't have the power of God. We have not have the all-compassion But we have the nature of God. The nature of God. The smallest seed of an oak tree has the nature of the entire oak tree. So every child of God has the nature of God. And God says, watch these things. Why? Verse 4. Exceedingly great promises that through this you may be partaker of the divine nature. Having escaped what? The corruption that is in the world. In The world, what is there? There is corruption. And what is in us? When we have divine nature, it's never incorruptible. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. the divine. This I say to you, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. What is in us? Incorruption. What is outside us? Corruption. So we are absolutely wary and careful about how we deal with the world. The divine nature we protect. Absolutely. What is within us? The kingdom of God. What is outside of us? The Corruption. So there is corruption incorruption, incorruptible nature inside, and that's what Corinthians four sixteen to eighteen is talking about. Therefore I urge you, imitate me for this no 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 second Corinthians, second not first, sorry, second Corinthians. Yeah. Second Corinthians four sixteen to eighteen. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. The outward man is the only symbol of the human nature. That's why there is no redemption for the outward man. Whatever you do, you are getting older. Because your system is breaking down. It's corrupted. It's getting, it's breaking down. Don't lose. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What does it mean? Is the inward man growing in the nature of God that is what peter has been talking so far this is a hypothetical statement doesn't mean it happens for everybody but it should happen for everybody that you have come to a point where you do not stumble anymore the inward man because the inward man is incorruptible outward man is corruptible what is that one like you you look at uh, you look at uh, cars not now 15 20 years 60 30 40 years ago If cards were from Calcutta or Chennai or Mumbai, the second-hand value was very low because they did not have that paint which could not handle the sea wind. Okay, it would rust very fast. Okay, very fast. You take an iron piece and put it in water and take it out. No, one day or two days later you will see that part which touched the water as rusting. Right? So the part of me that is touching the world is primarily what I can see is my body. The world is, the world is corrupting. It's breaking down. And my body is corrupting because that is the picture God says when you look in the mirror, See. See. Okay, see. And you will see whichever part of your mind is touching the world. If you don't know how to fight it out with the Word of God, it's corrupting. It is corrupting. Okay, be careful. The body, leave it alone. You can't do much about it. But mind, you can. You can. Mind, you can. That's what God is talking about. So when you're talking about for our light affliction which is for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of where is his glory? You are growing in your righteousness. Your imputed righteousness, you are growing. The righteousness is the glory of God. See, this is the very carnal mind who wants his hallow and light behind you and all. What difference does it make? What is the glory of God? It is his ways. It is his Righteousness. That is why Satan was cast out. As soon as sin was found in, he was cast down because he was marring the glory of God. And as soon as man who was reflecting the glory of God fell, he was cast out because he fell short of the glory of God. His glory is reflected in who he is. He is righteous. He is holy. That is what we call godliness. Righteous and holy. And that's what gets marred. So, Bible says, things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. It is permanent. So what happens over here? So there is incorruption inside, incorruptible nature inside. That is a divine nature that is growing and corruption outside. The things visible, the things invisible. So we need to know very carefully. My appetite is changing. My behavior is changing, my environment is changing, my association is changing, and I'm growing in divine nature. For all that what has God given us, He has given us these exceedingly great and precious promises through which I receive the divine power to partake of the divine nature. So divine power is given for change, and divine power is appropriated by divine promises. Do you get that? Divine promises. Now, coming to divine promises, let me tell you something. Promises are many. Promises are many. That's why we need promises. We don't understand the promises, we will not know how to appropriate the divine power to bring the divine change required. Okay? Like last week, Biden was very busy. Executive order after executive order after executive order. One of us was freezing the deportation of the illegals who have gotten. Yesterday, the Texas Attorney General Paxton had filed a suit in a federal court. He won. So temporarily, Biden's executive order has been put blocked. Okay, why? Texas sued the federal government's executive order and the judge looked in the law and he found it was not in accordance to law. So it has been temporarily been blocked. Okay. So what does it mean? Unless you know the law, you cannot block anything. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. The attorney has it. Now, it is Texas. That doesn't mean the whole of Texas did not go to court. Attorney General Paxton, on his behalf, some attorney in the government is filing it. And when he files it, he will have to say, according to this section, to this section of federal law, this is not valid. And the federal judge looks at it and says, okay, I'm ordaining a temporary injunction. It is frozen until the case is settled. Or it goes to a higher court. Are you understanding the process? In the same way, John chapter 14 and verse 26. NIV. Oh, is that NIV? Are you sure? Okay, my NIV says the other NIV, okay? When, okay, counselor. I mean, in the US they understand counselor, but counselor means advocate. That's what they call the garden. When the advocate <coughs> the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. See, <coughs> this is a law manual. This is a law manual. Okay, this is a law manual. That's why it's called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You have the law and the spirit of the law. You want to file a suit and win it, you need an advocate. You need an advocate. <laughs> So God has given us an advocate. Are you feeling cold? You can switch it off. Okay, You don't have to shiver. Hmm? Pardon? Yes. But the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate. It's an advocate. So God has given us an advocate. We have a book and we have a personal advocate, attorney who represents us. And Jesus has given the power of attorney to the Holy Spirit in my name. You know what power of eternity is that? Power of eternity is like if I have a property to sell, I could give power of eternity to Pastor Vijay and he can sell it in my name. He can sell it him, but I am only giving him connected with one particular property. God, Jesus has given all things into the hands of the Holy Spirit, power of eternity. So Holy Spirit is not representing, representing himself. He is representing Christ Jesus. Power of eternity has been given to him and he is the advocate. He is the advocate. So, without Him, we will struggle because these promises are there. Okay? We have an advocate on earth right inside us. Then when we goof off, 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why is there an advocate with the Father? Because there is an accuser before the Father. All the time. Okay, Sleepless fellow is there over there. Okay, even if we kick down, he still keeps going up to accuse us. So there is an accuser there and we have an advocate. Understand, these are all connected with promises. If you don't have promises, you have nothing to stand on. We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises and these promises are God's word certified by God. So we stand on it and there is an advocate who will speak to us, this advocate who will speak for us. Thousands and thousands of promises. The Holy Spirit leads us to the promises of God. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. As soon as He spoke through the Holy Spirit, thirty-nine, it became scripture. And you know what? We all became heirs to that promise. It's a promise: I will receive the Holy Spirit. Not only to them, every generation. Why? It's a promise of God. It's a promise of God. Okay. So He begins with the promise. Begins with the promise over there. Okay, Romans nine, eight, and nine, nine. That that is those who are the children of flesh. These are not the children of God but the children of promise are counted as seed. Who are we? We are children of promise. Okay, The promises are remember great and precious. And what was the promise? For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. What is the promise? The promise is at a time I will come and Sarah shall have a promise. The problem is at the time when he comes Sarah cannot have a child. She is 90 plus. Her husband is almost 100. They cannot have a child. So that child was not born by the will of a father. It was born because of the promise of God. Why was Isaac born like that? Because Isaac is a type of every born again. No father can will his child to be born again. Don't try it. You can pray, you can fast, you can preach, you can do anything, but you cannot make a child born again. It is absolutely the will of God. It is only God who can do that. It was a sin. So that is the promise. So who are we? We are children of promise. It's important to know we are children of promise. Why? It makes a whole lot of difference. We are children of promise. Because Ishmael is a child of flesh. Isaac was a child of the promises of God. So we are children of promise with a book full of promises. And other promises the Holy Spirit may give it to us individually. These are the exceedingly great, precious promises of God or given by the God. Purpose of the promise is that power will come through that promise so the children of promise can partake of the divine nature. And God says, when you walk in that, you bring me glory. You bring me glory. First promise, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first promise given in the Bible, post-fall. But look at Luke chapter 10, verse 19. You look at that and you look at that alone and it's the Lord always oh, said, okay, my child of promise, okay, I will crush his head, but he will bite my heel. God says no. Holy Spirit says no. Go back and read Luke ten nineteen. What do I say there? There's an additional section C. Section B, what is that? Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Why? Because I let him bite my son's heel. And my son drew all the poison, and finished him off. Now, you don't have to get hurt by him. So you, you, you need promises. There's one promise. And there is another promise supplement to that. And when that promise comes, you know what? That one clause in that first promise is Overwritten by the second one. That is how we apply promises. Apply promises. And the Holy Spirit shows us promises. Galatians 3.16 Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seed as many as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So what does it mean? All the promises were actually made to Christ. Are you getting it? All the promises were made to Christ. Every promise was made to Christ. And what does Abraham and Christ? What does Galatians 3.29 say? If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You know why this is coming? Because just giving you a little thing to look at what promise means in 2 Peter. What does it mean? We have this exceedingly great and precious promises. And... Galatians three, eighteen. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. Do you understand why it is so important? It is promise. If you have to receive anything from God because of law, then you have to work for it. You don't receive anything from God because you work for it. You receive things from God because of a promise. Because of a promise. That's why it is important. Because it's suffered that's what the Bible doesn't in second Peter, it only talks about promises if inheritance, if you are receiving anything because keeping the law of God, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise, and what is that promise? how does it give it? we come back again back to the Holy Spirit that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So God's answer is what? He has given us the Spirit of God. And He's given the Word of God. And He says through it, everything starts falling into place. So tonight, we won't get into conditional and unconditional promises. The conditional and unconditional promises. But note this. These are the words of Apostle Peter, his final words. So we have to be very, very careful about this because a lot of people miss out things. Either they are ignorant about the promises of God. They're ignorant what the promises are for. And they're ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So many things we are ignorant about. And God says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. So we have obtained, recapping, same faith of God. Through that faith, we have obtained the same righteousness of God. We have the same divine nature of God inside. Now we need the knowledge of God, not about God. Knowledge of God. It has to become personal. It has to become personal. And God says, in that knowledge, grace and peace will be multiplied. And everything pertaining to that divine life and godliness has been given through the knowledge of Him. And he has called us by glory and virtue, meaning he has restored us back to the glory that was lost. And we have promises through this. And through these promises, we partake of the divine nature. Like I said in the beginning, nature will determine appetite. It will determine behavior. It will determine your environment. It will determine your association. And he says, if you do these things, we haven't looked at all those things God says, you can make your election sure and not even stumble. There's a whole lot of other things which we need to, but it all begins with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is given through the Spirit of God. That is what made all the difference. That's where the lordship of this word, authority of the word of God, which was written by the Holy Spirit, and the authority of the Holy Spirit. As I close. Let me give you a ride at this. The last thing the Lord told me. You see, in the world, we have many blood groups but only one bloodline. It's the bloodline of Adam. There's only one bloodline split into so many blood groups. Jesus did not have Adam's bloodline. Bloodline is determined by the father. It's not determined by the mother. Jesus did not have Adam's bloodline. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Are you getting We were born of the Holy Spirit. We have our Father's bloodline, but we are born of the Holy Spirit. In the old covenant, life was in the blood. The new covenant, life is in the spirit. Not that difference. The old covenant, life was in the blood. The new covenant, life is in the spirit. That is how we have only one spirit. Everybody has only one. We have different bloodlines, blood groups. It doesn't matter. Adamic bloodline does not matter. We are born again by the Spirit. And in the new covenant, life is not in the blood. Life is in the Spirit. Okay? And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. And the church's actual issue is with the Holy Spirit. It is with the Holy Spirit. And we are trans. You know what? It was interesting. I finished all this early in the morning. And I listened. Everything is over. It was like 4.15 or something. And uh, I finished all that, and I listened to a preacher, and I, I, I love him. I like him he's very calm and he I know he walks in the spirit. And everything had worked on, I heard, I got it. This gentleman was confirming, because this is what he said. I wrote it down on my as so I was listening. I have a prayer life, and I have a life of prayer. One designates a portion of their busy day for prayer. The other designates a portion of their busy day of prayer for life. That's the difference between two statements. I have a prayer life and I have a life of prayer. The one who has a prayer life has a busy day and designates a portion of that busy day for prayer. The other has a busy day of prayer and designates a portion of it for, for life. When Paul said pray without ceasing, he knew we all had stuff to do. But what he meant was, life activities were interrupting prayer. But prayer was not interrupting life. Prayer or communication with God was life or is life. And I looked at him and said, you know what? That's exactly, I mean it was like confirmation. Can okay, you look at it? And I was thinking, well, do I have a prayer life or do I have a life of prayer? Do I have a word life? Or do I have a life where the word also comes in? Think about that. Do we have a word life? Or do we have a life where the word is? And there's a huge gap between these two. And God says, keep growing, keep growing. Where you have, you know what? You have a word life. And that's what Jesus, that's what was written about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, because his life was the word. And that is to what God is calling us. And I believe the time is here. God is going to do an amazing thing which mankind has never seen or dreamt about for people who are willing to die to their self-life and grow in this divine nature. So this morning, let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just looked at four verses from your servant's final words to the church. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your servants, all ages, your apostles who suffered, who were martyred, but because they allowed themselves, their self-life to die, we received the very word of God through their mouth and through their pen, Lord. We are the beneficiaries of their suffering and their death. You wouldn't have had all this if Peter hadn't given himself as a living sacrifice. We wouldn't have known all these things if Paul hadn't given himself as a living sacrifice. You look at it, O oh Lord. We don't want to know about you. We have heard enough about you. We want to know you. That is what salvation is. This is eternal life. We want, you do not want gnosis. We want epignosis. The real spiritual, not even the epignosis of the Greeks. But the epignosis of the apostles. As Job said at the end of his trials, my ears had heard about you, I had heard about you, and I stood strong on what I heard about you, unshakable, unmovable. But at the end, my eyes have seen you. Now when I testify to people, it's not about God, it is of God. That's what we are called to be. Witnesses of God. Not about God. We are not preachers about God. We are preachers of God. I pray, Father, that's how we will look at this year as enlargement. Not about the flesh, not about the world, but about you. Anoint us for that purpose, Lord. Your divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Spirit of God, lead us to the promises each one of us need to partake of your nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Your nature that overcomes. So the world will know we are the children of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Speak a peace into your church here and everywhere. So in part of the world, as they go to sleep, pay the peace of God will guard their heart. And their appetite will change. That will determine everything, Lord. Divine appetite will be infused in us. We'll train that appetite for things of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. And the rest of the day into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.